We're going to be in Proverbs 5 this morning, but uh, if you would turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. i got something I just want to announce real quick before we get going into the lesson. Ephesians 4. A verse that's been real heavy on my heart here as of late. Ephesians 4, verse 12. It says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal and purpose of the church, is to equip the saints to have better ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to be unified in faith, verse 13, and to become perfect. Perfect there means mature. So um, with that being said, this is a verse that's been heavy on my heart with a lot of different ministries and with a lot of different things. But uh, the biggest thing that's been heavy on my heart with here is something we've been praying about for uh, quite some time. And we're going to go ahead and uh, give this a whirl. Uh, starting August 28th, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, go to two services for a while. Now, let me just share a couple thoughts on this. First off, it's not the end of the world. You will not have two bodies. You will not have two congregations. You will not. Because if you're unified in Christ, that's a fear of the plant of Satan to try to divide. That's what it comes down to. To equip the saints is the best thing we can do because this is what it comes down to. Is There are people that serve at the 10 o'clock and they want to be fed spiritually. They've asked to be fed spiritually. So for those that serve at 10, we're giving you an opportunity to come at 8.30 and have a teaching and have some worship and have some fellowship because you're going to be giving your time and energy at 10 to those kids and youth in the back. We want you to come and be fed also. We also have a lot of people that work third shift, and they've said 8.30 works great for them. They try to stay up to 10 physically. They can't. And also there's a lot of people that said, boy, if you had an 8.30 like you've talked about, we've had family stuff going on at 11. We've had stuff going on at 12. We have to take off early. If you had something a little earlier, we could be able to make it. 8.30 helps equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not going to divide the church. It's not going to cause problems, and there'll still be plenty of opportunities for fellowship. And we're going to pray about this, and we're going to try this on the 28th, and we'll see what happens. If it works, great. God's in it. God's blesses. If it doesn't work, we'll stop it. That's the beauty of things out here. We're flexible. We can change. We can try things. So keep it in prayer. Starting August 28th, first service will be at 8.30. It will consist of the same worship. It consists of the same message. Announcements will be cut short, and that fellowship break that we have here to get kids to class will be cut a little shorter. There will be child care available. And when I say child care, I do mean that we'll have like a children's church going on. Uh, nursery and um, toddler room will have TV video feed, so you can still see the message. They will not be staffed, but you can take your kids back there if you have them. But there will be children's church for the older church that that uh, Pastor Richard and Betsy will be teaching, so in case you want to come to that, 10 o'clock will go on just as normal. We ask for your blessing upon this. Um, we ask for your encouragement with this, and we also ask for your support with this. It's the equipping of the saints, and that's what matters most out here. We want to do every opportunity we can to have people have a chance to come and be fed and go deeper in their walks with the Lord. That is our responsibility as a church. So to better equip the church, we're going to give this a try for a while, and we will see what happens, and we will go from there. With that note being said, though, um, until further notice, we won't be able to do the uh, fellowship meals on Sunday morning. 
And so that means this coming uh, some September 4th, there will not be a fellowship meal until further notice. We're not going to be able to do that. So keep this in prayer. See where the Lord goes with this. But wanted to announce that. If you have any questions about that, you can see me, see Rich, see Renee. But uh, it's going to be starting August 28th, 830. And I uh, hope some of that can be a blessing to you. And like I said, for those that serve at 10 o'clock, hopefully you can even make it out to some of the 830 there and be blessed too before you go give yourselves in the back. And I think it's a good time to say too, boy, thanks to everybody who serves. On a typical Sunday back here, we got 100 plus kids in the back. And I think there's somewhere between 30 to 40 people that volunteer their time on a Sunday morning back there from nursery all the way up. Boy, thank you for that. Thank you for those that serve. It is a real blessing, and we hope this further equips the body. So, yeah, tweets. Yeah, we're going to start Saturday at 830. Um, I thought that would really work out well. 28th is a Saturday, so that means 29th. And if you ever wonder why we have Renee serve out here, it's because of things like that. So, <laughs> August 29th at 8.30, I think. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I should probably write this down because I'll show up Saturday. <laughs> We're good. So, with that being said, Proverbs chapter 5. Now, I will tell you this. One thing I'm excited about with Proverbs chapter 5, real quick background here. I don't know if you noticed, and you probably didn't, probably a year ago, I think it was fall, maybe spring of this year, I don't even remember. But we were going through, I believe, the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is kind of a tough book on Wednesday nights. And so it would be like Isaiah 48 and 49. Well, generally speaking, people don't know what's in Isaiah 48 and 49. And if you just throw that chapter off the top of your head, I don't know what's in Isaiah 48 and 49. So what we started doing was writing up a little paragraph description of what we went through on Wednesday night, and we put that in the bulletin. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. It was the biggest struggle for me to type up this little paragraph of what we went through. And every Thursday, Nancy, when she was out here working, she'd be making up the bulletins, and she would call me, she would email me, she would intercom me saying, I need the description from last night. And I would usually respond back saying, were you there? Why don't you just write up the description from last night? Because I'm horrible at this stuff. And it was such a struggle. So eventually what we did is we just stopped doing them. And obviously you guys really were bothered by that because no one said a single thing. But now when we put the messages online, one of the things that we also do is we put a little one-sentence description of what the message is, just a little phrase. And I struggle with that so much, too. I'm horrible at coming up with these titles. And so what I was going to do was not ever put a little uh, message title up there. And then Renee, who was doing the website, said, basically, you have to. You know, you've got to have it up there. I'd be happy with it just saying Proverbs 5. What this long introduction is just coming to say is I have a title for today's message. And I'm so happy about that. The title is, and I've never, I don't ever title it, the title is, It's Not Worth It. Now, I'm not talking about the message. The message is worth it. I'm saying the title of the message. See, I just realized this. Now when people get online, they're going to read, It's Not Worth It. They're going to be like, why would, I, why, would I, why would I click on that? It's not worth it. Let's just end right now. It's not going, it's not going good this morning. The, it's not worth it, meaning when you make a choice, and that choice involves sin, I'm just telling you right now, it's never worth it. It's never worth the sin. It never is. No matter how much Satan tempts you, know how much your flesh wants to, and know how much you are deceived into thinking it's going to be okay, it's not worth it. And that's what Proverbs 5 is about. Now, Proverbs 5 is actually all about immorality and adultery. Proverbs 5 is a warning where Solomon is trying to say, basically, stick with your wife, stay pure with your wife, and don't go down that path of adultery. Now, Solomon 
if I remember correctly, had like a thousand wives and concubines. So he's speaking from experience here saying, this isn't worth it. But yet the bigger picture of this chapter is not just that, immorality and adultery. The bigger picture of the chapter is sin is never worth it. It's never worth it. Look at this, Proverbs 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. See, verse 3. Drips honey smoother than oil. Boy, sure sounds good. Sure looks good. Isn't that the way sin is? It's sweet like honey. It's smooth like oil. You think it's going to be so worth it. But it's not worth it. I, I reference this verse a lot, and I want you to write this down. It's Hebrews 11.25. Hebrews 11.25. It talks about the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures of sin. See, here's the problem with sin. And, and don't stone me for saying this. Sin is enjoyable. If sin was not enjoyable, we would not be tempted to do it. There comes a pleasure out of certain sins. That's why it's a temptation. Now, I'm not saying that that's good. I'm obviously saying sin is bad. But the problem is every now and then I'll say the problem with sin is it's tempting because it's enjoyable. Somebody will come and say, you can't say that. The Bible says it. The Bible says there's a passing pleasure of sin. And there's been times in my life where I've done things I shouldn't, and you know what? It feels good for a little bit. It's a passing pleasure. And at that moment, I like it. I'm glad I chose it. But then after I go a little while with the Lord, conviction sets in from the Holy Spirit, and I start realizing that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, Lord. I'm sorry. It was a passing pleasure of sin. See, verse 3, it's sweet like honey. It's smooth like oil. And everybody sitting here today has something that tempts you. Everybody sitting here today has something that is sweet to you like honey and is really hard for you to say no to. And everybody sitting here today has something that's smooth like oil, just sounds so easy to do, and it's going to be so worth it, but in the end it's going to be a problem. Because look at verse 4. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Look at what happens. It's bitter, verse 4. It cuts like a sword. It takes you down to death. It takes you down to the grave, verse 5. It's unstable. Isn't that what sin does? This is not worth it. See, the problem is we know it's not worth it. We do it. We feel guilty. We feel convicted. We confess. We repent. We forsake. But then, a little bit of time later, boy, that looks good. It looks tempting. And the problem is it keeps coming back again because it's sweet like honey and it's smooth like oil. So what do we do to battle this? Turn, if you will, to 2 Samuel 13. I hesitate to say this is one of my favorite stories because this is not a good story. It's not a pick-me-up story at all. It's actually a story that is a domino story. Once this happens, everything else falls apart. But it's a good application. 2 Samuel 13. What happens here in the book of 2 Samuel is David goes downhill fast. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the classic chapter where David has the affair with Bathsheba. And to try to hide it and cover it up, he has her husband Uriah killed. Nathan the prophet comes in and basically tells David, you're wrong for this. David repents, but yet there's a judgment that comes. 
And once David opened up his life to this immorality, and once David opened up his life to this sin, he had family problems the rest of his life. And that is definitely a lesson for us. Haven't we seen this? Sometimes one choice we make goes to another choice, and another deceit, another lie, another cover-up, and next thing you know we're in such a tangled web. And there's just problems left and right. Well, see what happened here with David. After he brought this sin into his family's life, his family just went downhill. And part of the problem was David wasn't strong enough to take the lead. And how many of you have parents have felt that way? I'll fill in the blank. I'd love to talk to my kids about sexual purity, but come on. You know, I was doing this and that. I would love to talk to my kids about this or drugs or whatever, fill in the blank, but I know what I did, so I feel like such a hypocrite. That's just a lie from Satan. Because if the point was that only perfect people could ever teach, there would not be a single pastor in the world. I'm telling you right now, this lesson that we're talking about today of it's not worth it in sin is a very convicting lesson for me. You know, Richard filled in for me a couple Wednesdays ago, and he did about the sin of Achan. And that was a convicting lesson of those hidden sins that we think we get away with, where God says, no, I see I tell you, I'm very convicted this morning up here with what I'm going to teach on. It would be really easy for me just to say, you know what, let somebody else teach this passage. So I could sit back in the audience and just pretend to listen. But the truth is, no one's perfect. David should have stepped up to the plate more and said, you know what, I screwed up. But I'm not going to let it happen to my family. So, But what happens here in, in 2 Samuel 13, we're introduced to this guy by the name of Tamar. And Tamar, from the way the Bible describes, was, was a very pretty young girl. Very nice girl. And she had this half-brother by the name of Amnon. And Amnon liked her. Now, obviously today we would not agree with a half-brother and a half-sister getting married. Back then during Bible times it was a different story. And if they had the blessing of the parents, the half-brother and half-sister were allowed to uh, get together. Well, what happened here is Amnon really liked Tamar. So what Amnon does under a is he gets some bad advice, and Amnon pretends to be sick. And he's laying there sick, so David comes and visits Amnon. And Amnon says, I'm really sick. You know what would really help me feel better is, you can, can you have Tamar come to, to my room here and, and make something for me to eat? So Tamar goes, because Dad sends her, and Tamar goes to make food, and Amnon says, you know, I'd really like it if you'd just make the food right over beside me. And, and why don't you have everybody else leave the room? So everybody leaves. Tamar's over there in purity, making the food. And Amnon then says, it's you that I want. In 2 Samuel 13, verse 11, Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Look at verse 13. What happens when you jump into sin? Verse 13, you're a fool. And there's no other better description for that. You're a fool for jumping into sin. Verse 14, however, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Now that's the sin, and it's not worth it. See, but here's... The funny thing about sin, it's sweet like honey, it's smooth like oil. But as soon as you do it, and the passing pleasure of sin goes away, you feel horrible. You feel sick. 
I've had times where I've been in the middle of anger and frustration, and I'm in the middle of this argument, and everything I'm saying sounds good, feels good. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm hitting home runs left and right. You get done, like, man, I can't believe I said those things. Can't believe I can't believe I said, and you just feel sick. I can't believe I said that. There's been times too where you're watching a program or doing something. It's like I should probably flip the station. Next thing you know, you watch too long. I shouldn't have done that. There's times where someone's telling a story, and boy, you really like that gossip. Book of Proverbs we're gonna get to a little bit talks about how gossip is like a tasty treat. Oh, just give me one more. Oh, I know I shouldn't, but just give me one more. And you keep listening and listening, and next thing you know, you're brought into this gossip. And you walk away thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. It's never worth it. Look here in 2 Samuel 13, <laughs> verse 15. After Ammon got what he wanted, then Ammon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, Arise, be gone. That's the effect of sin. The passing pleasure is gone. It is replaced with bitterness, a sword that cuts, anger, frustration, and a hatred. A hatred over what has done. And what Ammon does, instead of going to the Lord, asking for forgiveness, going to his dad, going to his half-sister, he says, I just don't want to be around this anymore. Just get it away from me. The classic out of sight, out of mind. And haven't we done that spiritually? Where we just say, okay, I just don't, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. I don't want to wear the red A scarlet of shame type thing. Well, it didn't work that way. Verse 16, Tamar's crushed, so she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other thing you did, but he would not listen to her. Then he called a servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman, this woman, out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Say, what's Amon doing? Out of sight, out of mind, let's just pretend it didn't happen. You know what? I have tr- I've been saved for 13 years. I have tried numerous times to do the out of sight, out of mind, let's bolt the door. It, it doesn't work. There's this little thing called the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And as much as I try, I can't bolt him out. As much as I try, I can't tell him just to be quiet. Now, he's not going to yell and scream at me, but there's the quiet conviction of the Holy Spirit that keeps whispering, James, you're wrong. James, this needs to be dealt with. Haven't you ever had that still, small voice, and you just walk away thinking, I've I got to get this made right. I've got to get this made right. Because what happens is this sin eats at us. It cuts at us. It becomes bitter on us. And it brings forth death. Now, you can read on later on today when you go home. Ammon eventually gets killed. Absalom, Tamar's sister, won't deal with this wrong, and he has Ammon murdered for what he did. Remind me of the passage in the book of James, and you don't need to turn there. James 1.14, it says, each one, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Look at the progression. You're tempted. And how are you tempted? You're tempted by your own desires. I remember years ago giving this example. Remember the example we talked about one time of the rhubarb pie? And about how good rhubarb pie smells and how good rhubarb pie, just the idea of a rhubarb pie being there and just the temptation of wanting to eat it and smell it. Then I told you I hate rhubarb pie. It is not a temptation to me in any way whatsoever. 
So therefore, when I walk by a piece of rhubarb pie, I am not tempted by it. It doesn't tempt me. In fact, I was just at a wedding last weekend, and they had a pie on each table, and the pie that we had on our table was rhubarb pie. Not a temptation. So I went to the other person's table and grabbed a piece of apple. It doesn't tempt me. Now, to you, rhubarb pie may tempt you. I'm sitting here right now, and I'm not going to tell you, and I don't mean this at all in an egotistical way or a prideful way, alcohol does not tempt me. For you, that may be your struggle. Now, I could sit up here and say, well, this doesn't tempt me, that may tempt you. I may come up and say, hey, this is what tempts me, and you may say, that tempts you? No, that's not a temptation for me at all. See, we all have different things that tempts us. See, the point of what it's saying here is, James, is those desires are inside of us. And as those desires grow, it brings forth sin. I'm not going to go have gluttony and eat a whole rhubarb pie. I'm not. Now, if you had a bag of jelly beans, that may be gluttony for me. But the point is that desire brings forth sin, and when that sin is full grown, it brings forth death. See, Amon liked Tamar in the wrong way. I'm not defending him in any way. That desire was planted there, and it grew, and as it grew, he brought forth sin. That sin brought forth death. Just like Pastor Rich taught on the sin of Achan, there's that great passage where I saw it, I coveted it, and I took it, and then I hid it. That's sin. I see it, so I want it. I covet it, so I take it. And so once I take it, I realize it's wrong, so I hide it. And the sin of Achan brought forth death. Not only his death, but the death of his family. See, moms and dads, husbands and wives out here, our sin affects our families. And we've got to be careful about that. See, I've seen a lot of guys and a lot of gals that have reached such a point of pride and arrogance where oh, kids are flexible, they'll be fine, they'll work through this. And they don't realize the sin of their lives will affect their children. Just like Achan's sin affected his family. Just like Amon's sin. Look at what Amon did. Amon's sin not only affected Tamar, it affected Absalom. It affected David. See, that's what sin does. It just spreads out and it brings forth death. Romans 3.23, we all know this verse. The wages of sin is death. That's what it does. So it goes back to the title of the message. It's not worth it. It's not. No matter how sweet it looks, no matter how smooth it is, it is not worth it. So what are you supposed to do? Proverbs 5. Therefore, hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Now this is the simplest point, but for some reason this is the toughest application. And this point is, is referred to and repeated in the Bible again and again and again. Is if you're around temptation and sin, what are you supposed to do? Run. Paul, when he was writing his last book of his Bible, writing to his protege Timothy, one of the last bits of advice that he gave Timothy was flee youthful lusts. Just run from it. You know, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, most people believe that David was in his early 40s. He wasn't the young man filled with passion. He was old enough and smart enough to know better. Flee youthful lust. And how many times have we done something where in our mind we say, I know better than this. It's not worth it. Flee youthful lust. Joseph is a great example of this. You remember when Joseph was taken as a slave? He was taken to Egypt and he became a slave under Potiphar. And Potiphar had this wife that wanted Joseph. 
So she just kept trying to seduce him. She just kept trying to get him. And Joseph kept staying strong and saying no and no and no. And so finally there was a time where it was just Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and she went after him. And what did Joseph do? He ran. He ran so quick that the Bible says he left some of his garments there. And she used that against him. But the point is, he ran. He was willing to lose his clothes to keep his honor. And sometimes as Christians, we're not willing to do that. We're too prideful to run. Well, because if I say I struggle with this, it means that people aren't going to think as I'm as strong as I am, and so therefore I'm not going to say I struggle. So I'll, quote-unquote, keep my honor, but still struggle with it. Man, I tell you this, the Christians I respect most are the ones that are honest. I'm not saying they come give me a laundry list of everything they do wrong, but I respect a believer that's not afraid to say, you know what, I struggle with that. Pray for me, encourage me, help me, uplift me. See, Joseph said, you know what, I'm just going to run, and I don't care what it looks like because I'm going to keep my honor and I'm going to keep my purity in all ways and all things. Let's continue on here in Proverbs 5. See, lest you give your honor to others. See, when sin comes into the play, we lose our honor. I mean, think about this. And let's not pick on anybody in particular, but any time there is a scandal in ministry involving a pastor, makes pretty big news, doesn't it? And you and I could all sit here and list pastor after pastor after pastor that has fallen to some type of, be it sexual sin or some type of money issue or some other thing like that. And what happens? They have lost honor in our eyes. Now, I'm not saying that God can't use them. I'm not saying that God can't further the kingdom with them. But they have lost honor in the eyes of the body of Christ and they lost honor in the world. And that's what happens with sin. We lose honor. And we lose your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labor go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last, and your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction in my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Now, I, I will be honest with you. Verses 12 and 13 really bother me. Because I see this a lot. How I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Now, I do not say this pridefully or arrogantly, but I am the pastor, and I am the instructor, and I am the teacher. Now, that doesn't mean other people can't do it, because other people get up and teach and instruct, and the Spirit leads them just like the Spirit leads anybody. But I'm saying is, sometimes as pastor, when I go talk to somebody and I'm saying, hey... I care enough about you, and I love you enough to tell you I'm concerned about this area. I'm concerned about what's going on in your life. And here's the scriptures to back it up. They don't want to listen. And it frustrates me. It frustrates me because, number one, many different levels, it amazes me sometimes how people can get mad at me. And they get mad at me a lot for saying what the truth of the Bible says. And it's amazing how they can forget all the other stuff that the church has done or the pastor has done. But once somebody says something they don't want to hear, oh, they don't want anything to do with it. And that took me a long time to reach a point of realizing it's my responsibility to speak the truth in love. And they have to choose to accept or reject it. Boy, it hurts, though, because you invest time and energy and resources in this person, and you love them. You want to see them go deeper, and you see them making choices that are dumb. And so you go to them in love and say, I'm concerned enough about you to say, hey, be careful. Oh, who are you to tell me what to do? What is this? I don't need you to tell me. And so they end up leaving and going. And not to say I told you so, but when you go down the path of sin, God's not going to bless you. And you see it going downhill again and again. And what happens in verse 12? They hated instruction 
They despised correction. I like to say they had an unteachable spirit. And I've seen a lot of people, and the truth of the matter is, I've been in that position myself where I just don't want to hear it. And you can say whatever you want to say, but we don't want to hear it. Verse 13, I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. And what happens, verse 14? They get on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. I mean, it's among the church. Their life is falling apart in the middle of the body because they were not willing to listen. Real quick side note. If you know somebody, your brother and sister in the Lord, and you are concerned about them spiritually, you need to say something to them. Because by not saying something, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And why don't we say anything? Well, we don't say anything because, number one, who am I to say anything? You know, I got my own struggles. Once again, that's a lie from Satan. There's nobody perfect to teach. Number two, we don't say anything because we don't want to hurt their feelings. If you're speaking truth, and you're speaking truth in love, and you're trying to correct an area of sin, you're not going to hurt their feelings. You're going to hurt them, because it hurts to have sin addressed. But don't worry about their feelings. We use that phrase way too much. We need to speak the truth in love and go and say, I'm concerned enough about you to tell you this. And it's all in wording. Because I've seen people go to people and say, I just want to let you know you're wrong. Okay, well... That's truth, but that's not love. And I've also seen people in love never get to the point. Boy, I really care about you, and I just, just, I, I just care about you. And I just tell them. That's why it's that balance. Speak the truth in love. I love you enough to tell you I'm concerned about you, and here's the area that I'm concerned with. I had somebody tell me one time, because there's a lot of times out here at church where there's situations that pop up, and they'll say, like, do you know this person's struggling with this? And I'll be like, I'll call them. And they're like, man, that must be so easy for you. I'm telling you right now, it is not easy for me. It is not. But I also know my spiritual responsibility is to address those issues when those things pop up. Because I know sin in my life affects my wife and affects my kids and eventually will affect the church. And I know that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, hopefully, if you're saved. So that means sin in your life will also affect me. And sin in my life will affect you. We're a family. And so with that being said, I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see the church hurt. I don't want to see me hurt. So therefore, in love, we go and we say those things and do those things. It's not easy. But you go in the Lord and you speak the truth in love and you listen to what God has to say. Because you don't want to ignore that correction. You don't want to ignore that wisdom. That will come back to hurt you. Verse 15 In the full context of Proverbs 5, once again, the book of Proverbs 5 here is all about uh, husband and wife and adultery, but verse 15, really through 20, are some great verses about purity in marriage. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed to broad streams of water in the street, let them be only on your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of seductress? You know, points on this are actually very, very simple. And this is something that, you know, Dawn and I, when we pray together, we just pray this openly and we pray this honestly. You know, one of the things that we'll pray pray together is I say, Lord, give me eyes only for Dawn. Give me eyes only for Dawn. Give me thoughts only for Dawn. Only for her. Because in the world we live in, there's a lot of things to look at. There's a lot of things to focus on. 
I want to have this verse be true. I want to be enraptured, verse 19, only by my wife. And you know, it's one of those things where we could sit here and skim the surface, but I like to go right to her and just say, hey, let's pray for this. I just want to be only focused on you. And there, and there are certain steps that can be taken. If you're a guy that it falls into the struggle of temptation to look at things and not look at things, there's practical things. You know, there's internet filters. There's accountability groups with guys. Problem is, it humbles you. You have to humble yourself and say, you know what, I struggle with this area, and I want to be enraptured only with my wife. I want to be only focused on her. I like how it says in verse 15, I want to drink water from only my own sister. It's a nice little phrase. Lord, only my wife. If you struggle with that, we're here to support you, encourage you, and point you in the right direction to have that focus. And if you're not married, I can't stress you enough, guys. Stay pure in every way possible into marriage. It will bless you without a shadow of a doubt. Now, I got in trouble last week because I brought some of these topics up, and I had a couple women come up to me and said, you never addressed the woman's side of it. So, And I said, well, what's the woman's side to address with this? And the one point they wanted to bring up was that women... You have to be careful, too, especially single women, on the way you present yourselves. Because what happens is if the guy is trying hard to stay pure and focused, women, watch what you wear. And I'll tell you right now, when Dawn and I go out shopping for clothes, it is hard to find outfits that are halfway decent. It is hard. It's hard to find shirts that cover everything up. It's hard to find shorts that aren't too short. It's hard to find dresses that are inappropriate. It is difficult to find that. And the way the styles of the world are now, it is difficult for a gown, for a woman to find appropriate clothing. And what happens is we get sucked into the way the world dresses and the way the world acts. And so, therefore, I see a lot of women that I believe are saved and born again, but they're wearing attire. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not appropriate. The Bible says let's not do anything to cause our brother to stumble. You know, J. Vernon McGee has a wonderful comment I've used numerous times. He goes, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Some women need painting. That's okay. I understand that. But be careful. Be careful that... Watch the siding you put on your barn. Let's just say it like that, okay? You know? Watch the roof. Let's just let's keep an appropriate roof line and doors that fully close and things like that. Let's just be appropriate on your barn. So... The point is that there is an aspect of what guys can do, but there's an also an aspect of what the ladies can do too. And I will say this real quick in verses 15 through 20. We're also dealing with the physical aspects of marriage, but I want to throw this out there also. There is an emotional aspect of marriage too. And guys have to be careful that they don't get into that flirtatious relationship with that girl at work or whoever the girls got to be careful they don't get into that little relationship with that guy with the joking and the inappropriate and stuff like that. And it's a fine line there. Because you know what? There's a verse that I like to use. It's out of Thessalonians. It says, Treat all sisters in Christ with purity as you would your sister or your mother. So I try to look at every woman I run into as either A, if she's born again, she's my sister in Christ. So I have two older sisters in the flesh, so I try to look at them as another sister. And B, if they're not saved, I try to look at them as a future sister in Christ. So I don't want to look or act or do anything inappropriate when it comes to that. And sometimes that causes problems. I've had gals before sometimes where, you know, they've wanted to get together and talk, and I'll say something like, you know, uh, you know, let's make sure there's appropriate here, let's make sure there's another person around or something like that. And they're like, why? It's just accountability. It's not that I'm going to do anything. It's not that you're going to do anything. But we also don't want that appearance of evil. We want that purity in all ways and all things. So... There's the physical aspect of marriage where it's like, you know what, obviously you don't want to do anything. 
But there's also the emotional aspect of marriage, where you say, you know what, I want to keep my heart to my spouse and my spouse's heart to me. Dawn and I have a little phrase in our marriage where we say, keep private things private. And you know what, you've got to be careful what you open yourself up with, because the Bible makes it very clear, where your heart is, your body will follow. If I give my heart over to another woman, my body's going to follow. And we've got to be careful about those type of things, impurity in all ways. Verse 21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Okay, if nothing else in this passage, in this chapter, about it's not worth it, and staying pure and everything, verse 21, God sees. There's been times in my life where I've like, Phew, I got away with it. And remember the story with Moses when he killed the Egyptian. Moses was in Egypt. He was ruling and working as an Egyptian. And there was the Jews that were slaves. Moses had it stirred on his heart to free the Jews. And he saw this Jew being beaten by an Egyptian. So the Bible says that Moses went over and killed that Egyptian. And the Bible says that Moses went and hid that Egyptian's dead body in the sand. And numerous pastors have said it numerous times over the year, but the Bible says that Moses looked to the left and to the right before he attacked. And I don't know who the first one to say it was. Moses looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he forgot to look up. And how many times do we do that? We look to the left, we look to the right. No one's watching, no one's seeing. I can get away with this. Oh, but there's this whole God thing. He sees and knows and sometimes don't we even not do something? We don't physically act on it. We don't verbally say it. But in our heart, we're sure thinking something. God sees that too. A lot of us can present an outward appearance of purity in thought, action, and deed. But our heart is full of such anger, lust, bitterness, rage. God says, I want to work on that heart too. See, God knows the ways of man. He ponders all his paths. What Proverbs 5 is really just trying to teach us here and remind us us, very simply put, it's not worth it. No matter how tasty the honey is, no matter how smooth the oil is, it's not worth it. And that's what we've got to remember when it comes to this. Mark, if you want to come forward here for the final song. What we're going to do today as we finish is um, I felt led to uh, stick around up here. And if anybody has anything they want to pray about, I want you to come forward while they're doing the song here, and let's pray about this. There may be something you're struggling with that you said, you know what, I need accountability, I need encouragement, I need fellowship in that. I'm going to come forward. There may be some area that you're stumbling in. There may be somebody you know. I don't know what it is. And I always have people ask me, why do you have to do the whole come forward in the final song thing? Can't we?